There. This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Yes, we are back. Black. John's out there in Skype land again. Skeepville. <laughs> Skeepville. Skeeptopia. What's it like in Skeeptopia? Who's the king of Skeeptopia these days? I don't know, some guy in Thunder Bay. <laughs> He's got, they're mining Tanium up there. <laughs> yeah, Tanium. Flubitanium. <laughs> Florvnictanium. It's a radioactive isotope, I think. It's quite deadly. They use it in the making of marzipan, actually. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to Rich before the show, and the reason why, and when I didn't even tell him, is that I was at a um, grocery store here in, in Syracuse called Wegmans. It's a great grocery store. They've got lots of lots of good food. They've got a great produce section and food from all over the world. Um, and at the register, there were these little blocks of chocolate, and... They're called Ritter Sport from Germany. And how a block of chocolate could have the word sport on it, I have no idea. Ritter means and knight, by the way. Does it? Like knight in shining armor knight. Ah. But it still doesn't explain sport. <laughs> <laughs> knight sport. Yeah. So, anyways, they had these interesting flavors, as, as most European chocolates do. Uh, not like American flavors, which come in cheese and bread. Um. So I got dark chocolate with marzipan filling, and on the on the disclaimer it says, "This product may contain traces of peanuts, hazelnuts, other nuts, milk products, and wheat." Now I understand them having to put a label on there for milk products and wheat, but if it's labeled dark chocolate with marzipan filling, do they have to really tell you that there's nuts in that? I mean, marzipan is nuts. Well, with trace amounts of sugar. Some people might not know that, though. Yeah, but it's kind of like saying, I don't know, <sighs> coffee may contain water. Were you the one who was telling me about the new medication that's on the market for insomnia? And it's, it lists one of the side effects as drowsiness. Drowsiness, yeah. yeah. Oh, I saw that killing. commercial today. <laughs> that's not a side effect. It's a primary effect. <laughs> so I got a bunch of stuff here on my quick little intro list. Hit me. Well, the first thing I want to say is Chris, and I don't mean garlic, Chris. I mean Chris, the hockey fan who sent us the picture of him molesting the Stanley Cup. <laughs> I think he wasn't molesting it. It was. He, I think he was accosting it. Well, he was fondling it anyway. He had his hands on it, and um, I'm sure there's some laws, you know, some sort of like, I don't know, trophy harassment laws out there. But anyway, you know, his email address hasn't worked in forever. So, Chris, if you're out there, email us. Let us know where the hell you are and what you're doing. Give us some contact info. He's probably in some sort of trophy witness protection program. He might be. He's uh, under the new name uh, Mario Lemieux, I think. (laughs) I think that he had to testify against the Vince Lombardi trophy. <laughs> that may have happened. Although yeah. he probably wouldn't pick Lemieux, he'd probably pick a Ranger, you know. Right. 
okay, so today was the big heart run, right? All around the country, all of these ra- runs and walks to raise money for heart disease research and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And apparently one of the staging areas, I think the end area, or perhaps it's where they park and then they bus you to the, the start lines, is at the New Hartford Shopping Center where I shop, where my whole food store is. So I went there today shopping. Lots of traffic there, and a lot of people who apparently had finished one of the runs or one of the walks were there. And there was this one cluster of people in a circle chatting with their race numbers on, and they were all smoking cigarettes. Well, it strengthens the lung. Yeah, the iron lung. (laughs) That's actually what it strengthens. Oh, I'm sorry. It strengthens the lung cancer. Say that ten times fast. Right, but it just seems a little incongruous. You know, it's the heart run and walk and you're poisoning your body you know <laughs> those two little things that are real near to your your heart actually and pretty vital for life well i don't know i think that you're prejudging perhaps it was some sort of race rule maybe these guys are professional racers and that was their handicap they had the smoke yeah that's right they that's kind of like uh golfers they have to take a two-stroke handicap or something yeah you have a you have a two cigarette handicap today <laughs> you you, in the back there with the world-class marathon, you have to smoke four packs in ten minutes. That guy from Kenya, take his left leg. <laughs> right. All right, let's see. Number three on my list. Um, I remember you asked me some of my favorite flavor combinations a few months ago. And, of course, peanut butter and chocolate was up there on the list, and you liked apple and cinnamon. But another one occurred to me today. Vomit and feces. Uh, no, Jack Daniels and chicken wings. <laughs> that, just, that popped into my brain today. I, I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the uh, the chain restaurants like thank God it's Thursdays. Uh, they're they're serving like uh, liquored up barbecued sauces. I think it's a trend. <laughs> and um, one of my other things I wanted to talk about in the intro was the possibility that one of us should change our first name to Disco. <laughs> this is coming up for some reason, and, and I can't grasp at what it is. I don't know. It just popped into my head, kind of like Jack Daniels and chicken wings. You know, I, weird synchronicities like that make me wonder. Because yeah. I think I was I was reading somewhere online, and uh, someone was going by the name of Disco, and I was reading this today. That's just weird. And that's why I'm saying, where are you getting this from? Because maybe you're just, you know, I don't know, standing outside my window. <laughs> <laughs> I could be standing outside your window, and in fact, I was. Um, and let's see, the last thing, you know, the, I saw that film Volver last night, and I'll probably talk about that later, or maybe I won't. It was really complicated, and I'm still processing it, you know what I mean? It's like I can't even really formulate a coherent thought about it yet. But yeah, one maybe of the it's things, best that you refrain. One of the things that they kind of talked about, and I'm not sure if it's something lacking in our culture, or if other cultures are just more death-obsessed. We kind of like to avoid the topic here, you know what I mean? We don't like to talk about it. And the beginning of the film starts out with people visiting the graves of their dearly departed and cleaning them and gardening and planting flowers and all that sort of stuff. And I started thinking, when was the last time I visited the grave of any of my dead relatives? And I can honestly say the answer is never. Really? Yeah, so I started talking about that after the film at the cafe with some of the people that we kind of meet afterward and talk about the film, and most of them basically had the same answer as me. They just don't do it, but in other cultures it seems to be more prevalent. So, you know, we were kind of wondering why and didn't have a good answer. So that's something I kind of wanted to talk about, not today, but maybe in the future. That could be a topic. Yeah, that could be a topic. Yeah, so anyway, that's what I have. Absolutely. That's what I have for the intro. What do you have for the intro? Uh, I'm drinking a fine cup of coffee made from uh, 
beans that I got from Colombia from my supplier. Really? Yeah. Your mule brought in some coffee beans? Yeah, you know who that who that mule is? I don't. That would be you. Oh, that's right. I brought back coffee beans for all of my coffee-loving friends. You and yeah. Lisa got the cafe beans. Yeah, I'm drinking it right now. It's It actually makes a mild cup. It's not like the, the Charbucks stuff that tastes like uh, charcoal filtered through charcoal. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, I hope you enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So you want to play a tune? Uh, yeah. Let it roll. What do we got first? The new guy. Actually, these are two new guys. I guess we'll play Eric first. All right, hit it. All right. Hitting it.
that's a pretty cool track. What'd you think of that one, John? Uh, I like that one and the other one that's coming up. That they're they're very good, very moody. That one has a real influence by a guitarist named Michael Hedges. You know, Eddie Van Halen, of course, kind of brought the whole tapping the guitar to the fore back in the 70s, you know, with the first Van Halen record. And then in the 80s, a guy named Michael Hedges on a record, a famous record now called Aerial Boundaries, started doing it on the acoustic. He brought the two-handed tapping kind of thing to the acoustic and kind of blew the roof off of the whole acoustic guitar scene. Yeah, and uh, there was another guy from from the 80s. I can't remember his name now for some reason. I used to have a couple of his albums uh, who did the tapping in the in the jazz mode. Stanley Jordan? Stanley Jordan, that's it. Exactly. Right, but again, that's on an electric. Michael Hedges brought it all to the acoustic and this guy's sort of doing it and expanding on it, doing a lot of percussive things, tapping on the body of the guitar. And that's not even uncommon in flamenco music, right? But Oh, right, right. But this isn't flamenco music. This is kind of a hybrid of all of those things. Cool stuff. guy named Eric Mongrain. It's E-R-I-K-M-O-N-G-R-A-I-N. And he was uh, his people were kind enough to send me a CD, a DVD, and a press kit and gave us permission to play his stuff. So we'll be playing some more of that in the future. Yes, we shall. So what were you thinking about? Well, as I, as I told you up into the, uh, the pregame meeting, uh, we... Uh, we were in the car today and, and listening to some some radio and NPR as I, I often do, and they brought up this this interesting topic, and it was it was sliced with a few different interviews and, and sometimes NPR does that and they kind of like that where it's like a theme and they'll do different interviews or, or different uh, book reviews on the same theme, and this one was about intellectual property and and in fact plagiarism was was the central topic. Um, a couple of the things that I think people should check out are. And I'll, I'll put links on the site for this. There's an article by Jonathan Latham, Latham uh, in February 2007, Harper's Magazine. It's called The Ecstasy of Influence. It's an amazing article in that he talks about um, people appropriating work, uh, piecing it together, essentially doing uh, the verbal and written equivalent to sampling. And they piece together uh, artwork, and he's making a case that that there really isn't any original idea anymore. And this is not a, a new topic, which is also interesting in itself, and in that it's uh, that topic isn't new and it's rehashed. But he he's saying that there isn't any new sort of phrase, um, but what's new is the artist's interpretation, their appropriation of the work, and, and creating something new out of, uh, I don't know, almost a collage of work. But the best part about this article is that in it, it in itself is a collage of work. Well, and, and to interrupt, that guitarist Eric Mongrain is in many ways a collage of previous artists. Right, and, and this is something that I think is, is central to our society today and that we are, we are so inundated with media everywhere. I mean, you can't even walk outside of your house without hearing even someone's radio playing in their car as they drive away. We're just inundated with media and we, we, we don't even know. It's, it's in our subconscious, different influences. That's right. But, this just in. Anna Nicole Smith, still dead. Oh, you're killing me. So, but the this article, what I was going to say, the best part about it is that he consciously doesn't write the whole article himself and, and make reference to other works. He literally takes pieces of quotes uh, from other famous authors 
and pieces the entire article together. It's a patchwork. It's it's the literary equivalent to sampling, like I said. Well, does he, he then gets, cut letters out of newspaper headlines, <laughs> glue them to papers, and mail them to police departments? And taunt them, yes. <laughs> Cryptograms. Which is another interesting, you know, bit of synchronicity there and that the you know, the whole um uh, Zodiac Killer movie is going to be coming out now, but yeah, this this is great because I think that this topic is near and dear to my heart, and that that we don't want to allow people to get away with stealing, but in the same token, it's hard to to distinguish that line: what is stealing and what is making something new. Um, so yeah, this this article is great. I'm not going to dig too deeply into the rest of it because I want people to experience it for themselves. He does at the end of the article attribute every single one of the works that he steals from, and he even describes how he modified things. And he's, he's really just in the mortar between these, these words. And then there's another, another interview that came up after that, and it was about a new book out. It's called Rhythm Science by Paul D. Miller, a.k.a. DJ Spooky, who, who is a... <laughs> Ooh, scary. Ooh, yes. so he had that spooky. Smells like bets. <laughs> yes, he, uh, he's a um, hip-hop... DJ, and he also makes some ambient-type mixes, but he's also got a book, and he's very well-read, and, and he's, um, he, he's got some great artistic influences all the way down to you know Duchamp and, and the Dadaists. Um, I thought you were going to say something else when you said Duchamp. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to go back to an old SNL skit where you went, Lord and Lady Douchebag. No. <laughs> no. That's you. No, that was actually Garrett Morris, uh, but, you know. <laughs> But anyways, this this uh, uh, DJ Spooky he he talks about this same topic when where he's saying that he's putting not just words together and and bits and pieces of music, but he even takes quotes from other maybe spoken word recordings and and he mixes them into to his uh, I don't know atmospheric pieces. So it's it's really good. He 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 describes this whole concept of there's nothing wrong with stealing because in, in reality it's not stealing you are making something new you're just not taking the raw materials of say maybe plucking a string or writing a note down on a piece of paper you're taking the raw materials of the media that we're sort of saturated with um, and making something out of that so i think this is a, a great thing well this goes back to the geek philosophy from when time shared systems started like at mit they had like a PDP something at MIT. Have you ever read the book Hackers by Stephen Levy? Yeah. But in there he talks about Multics, which was one of the first time-sharing multi-user operating systems. Right. And there was no security under Multics. So I could access your files and you could access mine. Yep. And everybody thought it was cool because I could take your program and make it better and then just leave it there for you. And then when you woke up the next day and got it, your program was improved. Today, I mean, that, uh, that's scandalous, you know? That just doesn't happen. Dude, that's communism. <laughs> right you, some sort of pinko yeah totally and but i mean that was kind of where it all started the whole hacker ethic you know the whole share open source yeah well yeah that kind of thing but i mean this was even a little bit different than that now open source is all centered around development trees and you know adding what do they call those um the piece of software that maintains the development tree 
Um, things like SourceForge you talking about? Well, yeah, but there's a, there's a particular name. I can't think of it. But, I mean, this was literally, you know, people would just take the, the code and completely change it, rewrite it, and add it. And they didn't leave you your old one behind. They only left you the new one, you know. Ah. And it was, like, really cool, and everybody loved it, and everybody got along. Why can't we just all get along? Yeah, well, I mean, and it goes back to... Um, and again, there's another person that they were quoting in this series of interviews, and he was a, an author, um, strangely enough, an author who, who put an article out in Harper's some other some other year, and um, he heard second and third hand that some of the things, some of the themes that he had put together, and in fact, some 300 words of his article were directly taken, and they were part of a, a Broadway play with similar themes. And he was getting all his, his ire up and was getting ready to sue. But when he actually read the play, he realized that the artist had done something new with his words. And then he started thinking about, I got paid for my article. I got everything I could out of the article. The words are out there. I'm not harmed by someone making a new piece of art. Um, but I think that this, this, uh, this operating system you're talking about is different than that. If I woke up one morning and found my files missing or destroyed or... Modified and modified would be the right word. <laughs> Missing and destroyed would be a, a bad characterization of what what was happening. The version that I thought was there would be would have been destroyed unless there's some sort of source control management on it. So I would be a little upset. But if someone's actually created something and a copy is taken and the original is still retained, well, that could have happened too. Is retained, that could have happened. Yeah, that could have happened too. But if you were a part of that culture, you might not have found it to be something that would anger you. Uh, probably not. I probably would have long hair and, and smoked dope and drove a VW bus, too. Yeah, and ate a lot of Chinese food, because that's what they did at the uh, MIT Computer Lab. <laughs> and, and they would order it in Chinese. That that got to be what they needed to do. They needed to develop their Chinese language skills so they could go to the restaurant and actually order it in Chinese. That was like the goal of that computer society. <laughs> you know, I have something else for the intro, except I forgot about it, but I'm going to talk about it now, even though it's not the intro. Oh, yeah? Yeah, uh, there's some people in my family who work at some local manufacturers, and these are unionized shops, and one of the unions is Steel Labor, the Steel Labor Union, and every once in a while I get to see the monthly or whatever it is, bi-monthly or every six-month magazine, and I happened to see one, and on the cover there was a guy wearing a hard hat with masking tape taped to it, and on it was written, I will not scab. <laughs> <laughs> and I just kept thinking, isn't that called hemophilia? I mean, <laughs> is this the JAMA I'm reading, or is this a union magazine? I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> maybe you misinterpreted it. Maybe that. Maybe he lost his medical alert bracelet or something. <laughs> that could be. Now, now he just has it on his hard head. <laughs> That's right. It's not the vial of life. It's the toque of life. <laughs> I don't know. It's almost like the holy hand grenade. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Wow. Well, actually, you got to forward me those articles because I really don't have much to say on that. I'll have to read that. And maybe we can revisit that. Well, I think it's going to be a theme that will recur because we've already touched on that, that theme over and over again. But this is just a new twist on it and that that people are, are starting to um, to write very strongly about it. And artists themselves are coming out and saying, take my work. That's fine. Take my work, please. Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. That's something else. I just flew in from Cleveland. Why are my arms tired? <laughs> so, you know, uh, one of the other podcasters out there who does a really cool show called The Sound of Young America or something like that, his name is Jesse Thorne. I know you've seen his name up on the Yahoo Podcast News Group. Yep. 
he announced that the Corporation for Public Broadcasting just got some big funding. I mean, not big, but it was between seventy dollars and $100,000 or something like that. And I think their job is to go out and search the podcast-osphere for new public radio <laughs> DJ talent. Wow. So I signed us up. <laughs> oh, awesome. I figure, what the hell? It can't hurt. Wouldn't it be cool if Terry Gross called? I mean, you know. Terry Gross is one of those those radio people who looks absolutely nothing like she uh, she sounds. Yeah, I noticed that myself. And her photo can actually be found, in addition to on her website, on this website that Jesse Thorne hipped me to. And I don't remember what it was called, so I can't send you there. And then there's another guy uh, in this uh, public radio network kind of thing. Um, his name is Ira Glass. Have you ever heard of him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he hosts uh, a, a show called This American Life, which is phenomenal. But anyways, it's making its transition to television, and it's going to be a series on Showtime. Um, but he, I've heard him on, on public radio talking for a long time about this, and, and he said that it took him a long time to realize that he's just got to get over the fact that his voice is not even a radio voice and his face is not a television face. It's, you know, he's he's gotten used to that and... I think in public radio um, and, and in most art endeavors, it's not about you know sounding like a radio DJ. It's what you've got to say that matters. I think the voice helps to some degree, you know, depending on what sure, you're doing. If, you're, if you've got a screeching, whining voice, it, it would make the, the message hard to... to in a world sure. where you have a screeching and whining voice. In a world gone mad. In a world where both cars were underwater. <laughs> totally underwater. <laughs> totally underwater. A new wind was about to blow. Payback. <laughs> That's actually that commercials. Their Geico's commercials are fun just because they're so about anything but auto insurance. They're ridiculous. And I've got another um, website that I got to send you to. It's called Chud Cinematic Happenings Under Development. <laughs> And, uh, and I, I know what that's a play in words on. So. Right. And, and in fact, the, the website theme looks all sewerish. Right. Cannibal but, uh, humanized underground <laughs> dwellers or something. That's exactly it. But on that, that there's they do, um, you know, what's the gossip in the, the movie industry? And apparently, there is uh, well, I've heard that home floating around. I've heard that home for Purim might win an Oscar. <laughs> no, this is even better, and this is real. There are scripts floating around to uh, start a television series based on the Geico Caveman commercials. <laughs> well, isn't that like, your ways are strange to me. Isn't that just unfrozen caveman lawyer? Haven't we already seen that? I mean, aren't they really just borrowing from Saturday Night Live with those commercials? Uh, no, and, and I, I read this article, and it's it's killing me because they're taking it seriously. But, but the way that they're spinning it is it could be social commentary on racism. And I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. They're cavemen. <laughs> Well, it might be fun. I mean, Phil Hartman made that skit on Saturday Night Live pretty funny. Yeah, he did. Let's play a tune. Hit it. All right, I'm hitting it. Thank you. 
I have two words to say about that guy's music. What's that? Very Arabic. <laughs> well, you, it's not Aramaic. No, or if you prefer the compound word, Verabic. <laughs> it's not gum Arabic either. Not gum. Gum be damn it. Sorry about the, the chomping here, but I'm having one of those bits of chocolate. Very good. Oh, cool. Hey, you know, I mean, not to harp on the whole Anna Nicole thing, because I know you kind of wanted to talk about last week, but we didn't end up talking about it. So, um, you know, they're doing the burial on Wednesday or whatever day it was, and everybody at work has it on that TV. And under the, you know, on the bottom of the TV screen, it said, breaking news in the Anna Nicole Smith case. And I just couldn't help but go back to Chevy Chase and say out loud, this just in, Anna Nicole Smith still dead. I mean, I just said it out loud in the lunchroom, and everybody just kind of looked at me like I was weird, because A, they probably didn't get the Saturday Night Live reference, and B, they're just so consumed by this. It's such trash. Yeah, and then Nancy Grace will come on and say, isn't it true that you're still dead? (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) What's this about the death penalty? Deaf people should not be punished. That's, that's right. What was her name? Emily Latella. Emily, Emily Latella, that's right. Never mind. Gilda Radner. She was the bomb, or the bomb S. Yep. So yep. I yeah, saw they, a film. Oh, were you going to say something? Sorry to, sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say that, that I'm I'm thoroughly over the whole thing. And, and as you know, I don't want to talk about the Anna Nicole Smith thing about um, about the case, because I could really care less about it. It's people's private business. But the one thing that I'm disgusted with is that I saw people standing outside of the funeral booing her mother. Are you kidding me? This is a woman whose daughter just died, and, and they're booing her? It's a, it's a funeral. Boo her later. Yeah, I know. Boo her later. Not at the funeral. Send a boo letter. Send a boo-a-gram if you have to. <laughs> so I saw Volver. I'm not going to make any jokes. <laughs> This is the latest Pedro Almodovar film, uh, 2006 film, 121 minutes, rated R, has Penelope Cruz in it. And my first comment is, good film or bad film, I'll be happy to pay three fifty, which is what the rate is at Munson, to see Penelope Cruz walking around in a tight skirt for two hours. <laughs> I mean, I don't have a problem with that. I hope I haven't offended any of our women listeners out there. Yeah, Roger Ebert generally doesn't have reviews like this. <laughs> no, no. But, you know, it's it's a true statement. She's a lovely woman. She really is. And this film has a... You know what? I'm not going to talk about this film too much. I need you to see this so we can explore this together. But there's a lot of interesting themes that I noticed in this film. One of the themes is that it's basically a film entirely about women. If there are any men characters in it, they're minor players. They're uh, Penelope Cruz's character, Augustina, I think her name is, or something like that. Um, August, no, Augustine is the neighbor. What was... Penel- Did you even see this film? No, I actually didn't. Well, I, I well, I just don't remember her name, the, the character that she played. But she's actually married, but they sort of find a way to get rid of her husband pretty quickly. And then it becomes a, a film about Penelope Cruz's relationship with her, like, 14-year-old daughter, with her mom, who she thought died in a fire with her father, like, 15 years ago. With her ill aunt and with her sister, Soledad, who they call Sole. And the, the, we have those recurring themes throughout the film, the all-women theme. And one of the other themes that kind of dawned on me was that they kind of explore death and love, which it's really odd because every Spanish film I've seen, a few from Almodovar and a few from other filmmakers, they're not shy about delving into the whole death thing. You know, they, they have some pretty... 
uh, dark humor. The films tend to be just laced with lots of dark humor about death, which I find refreshing since we tend to avoid death in our culture. But one of the themes, one of the other themes in this film is love, but it's not romantic love. It's sort of, it's either lustful love or marriages of convenience and things like that. This film doesn't really explore the idea of romantic love all that deeply. Sure. Is this thing out on DVD yet, do you know? I mean, would you be able to see this pretty soon? I would think that anything that was up for an Academy Award is immediately available on DVD. Yeah, I mean, it's an 06 film. I don't know when it came out in 06, but I think uh, you would find this film interesting, and we definitely have to discuss this film. And real briefly, I saw a Czech film uh, that I got in the mail with my blockbuster thing called Kolya, and it's a film about a mm, relationship between an old stodgy codger type guy who has sort of has this young child thrust upon him that he has to take care of and in one way it's sort of predictable it's the story where we know what's going to happen right he hates having the kid around but then he warms up the kid and ends up falling in love with the kid but it's still a sweet story i think it was the 1996 uh foreign film best foreign film academy award in fact so if you want to see another what's that it sounds like the uh the plot for the professional okay did you see that? I have not seen that. And uh, the other film that I mentioned to you earlier that I have but have not watched yet is The Illusionist. And what was the film that you have? Uh, good Night and Good Luck. Good Night and Good Luck. That was a good one. So we'll have to check that out. So put Volver on your list, and uh, we'll talk about that in the future and uh, see what you think of it. Yeah, and and we should also probably hit the, uh, the Prestige because that's the film that people keep talking about in the same breath as The Illusionist, and uh, I've heard nothing but good things about that, too. You know, I think we forgot to mention the guitarist, our last uh, musician's name, and I believe his name is Steve Book, B-O-O-K-E, and we'll link to him from the website. I discovered him on the web, and the thing that I, I must have used a couple of search terms of musicians that I like, because when I ended up finding his website, I seemed to recall him listing two influences on his site. One was Steve Morse, and one was John McLaughlin. So I thought, well, how bad can the guy be? Let me contact him. And then he was kind enough to send me a CD with the six or eight of his tunes on it. And we'll have, we'll have some more of his stuff in the future, too. So uh, you mean Steve Morris and the guy from the McLaughlin group, John McLaughlin? Yeah, that's him. You didn't know he was a ripping guitar player. <laughs> Issue number one. Issue one, the Mixolydian mode. <laughs> oh, Jack I don't Gimondo. know. <laughs> Jack Germond, uh, I, I remember one episode where he had Morton Kondracki on his left and Morton, oh, there was another one, another Mort, and he sat between the two and he looked at them both and went, I'm mortified. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. I don't even know if that show's still on, so uh, we it might have to. It is, of course, still on. It's a oh, okay. So, well, if you don't know what the McLaughlin group is, we'll talk about it next time. But anyway... That's a show. <laughs> That's a show. Hey, thanks for tuning in. So, John, when do you think you're going to have your cellar in some sort of shape? How, how many more weeks? Uh, probably 17. Okay, that's a good number. Hey, check us out on the web. <laughs> 17. W, it's John's favorite magazine, too. Check us out on the web, www.bloodyveg.com. <laughs> Hit our forum, bloodyveg.com slash forum. And for our hockey statue fondling friend out there send us feedback to feedback at bloodyveg.com with your current gps coordinates and those of you out there who uh, just want to send us irritating feedback you can use that address too and remember you're listening to the vib 